Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Dr. Ish Desai. I'm the Chief Medical Officer here at Osmosis. Today on Raise the Line, I'm happy to be joined by Adele Webb. She's the Executive Dean of Healthcare Initiatives at Strategic Education Incorporated. They provide an array of learning pathways to help its working adult students advance their careers, perhaps best known for Capella and Strayer Universities. Adele started her career as a pediatric nurse and has been involved for uh, 30 years in training nurses around the globe to fight HIV and other diseases. She actually spent many years in nursing education in the U.S., both as a professor but also as an academic leader. Thanks so much for being with us today, Adele. So why don't we just start with some personal background. Do you mind just telling all of us a little bit more about your career in nursing before you got involved in HIV overseas? Sure, I'm happy to do that. So I've had a really long career in nursing. I've been really blessed to spend a lot of time doing something that I love. I always tell people nursing nursing's not what I do, nursing's what I am, it's everything I do. So I started after I got my degree as a pediatric nurse in a neonatal intensive care. I did that for a number of years before I transitioned to a pediatric emergency room. So I spent a lot of time uh, doing trauma, um, those kinds of things that you see in a pediatric emergency area. And then from that point, how did you first get involved in combating HIV? And, and, and for many people that may not be familiar, what was it like dealing with AIDS in the 90s? Well, you know, it was really interesting as we really into the late 80s, beginning of the 90s, because um, like we're seeing in the epidemic now, nobody knew for sure what was happening. People were dying really quickly. Um, there wasn't still not a vaccine, but um, there weren't effective treatments. And so it was hard. It was emotionally taxing. It was physically taxing. It was really difficult. It required a lot of support from your peers. And where were you based at the time? So in the very beginning, I was in the Midwest in Ohio. After I became involved in HIV, I moved and I, I moved to Michigan and I was working in Detroit and I got the opportunity to work in an HIV clinic there and also do HIV education. Um, I think it really shaped my career around HIV at that time. So what shifted your focus to overseas? Well, I became involved in a professional organization that dealt with HIV, and during my work there, I was publishing quite a bit about what was going on at the epidemic, and that became recognized, and so I started my first trip to Geneva, to uh, Switzerland, to start working on guidelines that were coming out around HIV, and it really just kind of evolved from there. I started working with some people who were writing some grants about doing both education of nurses in sub-Saharan Africa, where the epidemic was just ravaging the country, and also teaching nurses how to protect themselves and others um, from the disease. So it was a great opportunity for me. It spanned a number of years. I continue um, to do projects for the WHO, and I've actually worked in 53 countries. And so now that HIV is, I can't say under control, but we have a treatment my focus has transitioned somewhat to non-communicable diseases. What was the culture like, I imagine, at WHO versus what you were doing previously where you were working very much on the front lines uh, caring for patients? We know it's interesting um, when you're working internationally how things are so much different. And so 
you know, when you bring in that global focus, you look at things really through a different lens and you start to look at more um, population health and world health and not so focused in such narrow areas. And so for me, it really broadened perspective and gave you the chance to think about what HIV is not doing just to, to people or to individuals, but what it's doing to the world. So a big part of what you're doing, it sounds like, was educating through these guidelines you're putting together. Can you talk about kind of how your role has evolved as a nursing educator? Sure. So at the time, I, I did more than one thing because I've always felt like you can't teach something you don't do. So the whole time that I taught, I also worked clinically. But what I found, you know, the first time I went to Africa, which was late 80s, you know, you go over there and you think, you know, I've, I've studied this a lot. I know a lot about this. I'm going to fix this. And you find out that that's not what you're going to do because there are a lot of things, no matter how much you know, there's a whole lot you don't know. And so it really helped give me a different perspective of working with students because just like you think, you know, you're teaching a class and your students are all the same, right? They're nursing students. They all want the same thing. Everybody's different. And I think when you get that global perspective, it changes not just you as a person, but you as an educator. So you were working at WHO, helping put this global lens on things. How did your career then evolve to SEI and Capella? During my work for the WHO, one of the grants I worked on was associated with Georgetown University. So when the grant was over, I was teaching at Georgetown, and I had an opportunity to a colleague of mine to move to Cleveland and start up a campus for Chamberlain University. It was Chamberlain College at the time. So I did that for a long time, for about six years. And while I was there, um, that same colleague had transitioned to Capella and reached out to me and said, you know, we have this unusual position. It's a great opportunity. I think you should apply. And so I've been at Capella about three years and I have a fascinating role. So my title is Executive Dean of Healthcare Initiatives. And so I serve to bridge the school with um, the portfolio strategy team. So looking at what are opportunities for non-degree programs, other kinds of courses we can offer. I'm a lot of the external face of Capella and of SCI. So I do a lot of presentations. I do a lot of webinars. And then I also work with the employer solutions team. So I work with our organizations that we have partnerships with that are providing opportunities for nurses to get education. So where do online nursing education uh, offerings, like the ones you're talking about, where do they fit into the, the bigger role of nursing education? Is that, is that scope growing or shrinking? Well, you know, right now, online education is getting attention it never had before, and maybe some respect it hasn't had before. But a lot of what I do provides continuing education for nurses. So nurses, um, just because a nurse is a nurse, uh, you have a lot that changes over time, a lot of things that need to be updated in your head. New things happen, new diseases. I mean, who would have thought before we ever needed to be educated on COVID or Ebola or even HIV? And so these presentations I do through either professional organization meetings, such as the Association of Nurses and Professional Development or the National League for Nursing, these really are designed to provide information to practicing nurses that they need to sustain the education they have or give them new information they didn't have before. 
Along those lines, you, you spoke about COVID-19, and obviously a lot of folks are still thinking about that because it's very much looming over us. What is Capella doing to raise the line, so to speak, which is to increase healthcare capacity? Well, Capella has an enormous number of graduates from its nursing program and has always um, provided support to those graduates through the Alumni Association. But in addition, um, we have partnered with organizations, um, Osmosis being one, to offer education about COVID to our alumni and to our current students, but also to our faculty who are nurses as well. Um, They've also initiated a lot of opportunities for new students and for current students through programs and platforms like SOFIA and other things they offer to allow nurses at a reduced cost to get their continuing education. And we're currently rolling out a a new series on nursing leadership. And so when you think about um, the role that nurses are playing in this epidemic Um, These are opportunities for nurses to learn how to be leaders, even if they're at the bedside, to really help meet the needs that we're seeing evolve. What are the concrete skills that you see lacking sometimes in in where Sophia and other learning tools can help out with nursing leadership? What are the skills people aren't learning that they could try to go out and learn? Sure. So, you know, when you graduate, there's a variety of programs and they have different standards and there are some national standards and all the programs meet those But as as you start practicing as a nurse, you find out what you don't know. And some of the things you don't know are opportunities that can help you move forward in your career. So for instance, things around financial management, you're not learning in your undergraduate program, what what is a profit and loss statement? What does EBITDA mean? Um, How do hospitals and organizations make decisions about costs on your unit or staffing costs? And so when you think about moving into leadership positions, that's information that you need to have that is really essential to being an effective leader and important to the organization because certainly having sufficient resources and managing those appropriately are important. So if you're looking now at what's going on, think about bringing in travelers. You know, a lot of places that are hot spots in the country don't have enough staff. And what is that costing in terms of bringing in people from outside? And so, you know, financial skills is one piece. Another piece they don't often learn is, for instance, how to interview somebody. So if you move into a management position and you're hiring a new nurse, what do you look for? What questions do you ask? And I say everybody comes to an interview in their good clothes, right? And so they all come and they they know what you're going to ask them and they tell you what you want to hear. And when they walk away, what do you really know? And so how do you do behavioral-based interviewing? And what does that give you that you can't get anywhere else? So those are skills that we're trying to build in or we have built in to our new nursing leadership development series that um, nurses can take and acquire those skills. So when they're ready or have the opportunity to move forward or move over into leadership, that they're really ready to do that. You mentioned a little bit earlier that there is a little bit more respect that's being given to online education. And I'm curious what attitudes and opinions you've heard that make you feel that way. We know often people talk about online education and you, you'll see it in the literature and you see it in the, you know, in the newspaper, you see it in the public literature that people don't, you know, an online degree isn't as good or it's not as rigorous and you see that all the time. But now that we have shifted to an almost 100% online environment, people are finding that it can be effective. I mean, we're even doing online school in grade school, right? So you're having online kindergarten, whoever thought that you would have that. And so 
now that they see that it's working and it can be effective, I think that we're going to see more transition to either online or hybrid courses because, you know, it gives people the opportunity to stay safe, to stay at home, but also to learn in ways that they haven't learned before. And it it gives populations more opportunity. Somebody who can't leave their home and come into a class, or maybe they don't have a sitter or transportation, they can take their courses at home. You know, you mentioned the importance of interpersonal skills and leadership skills as a new nurse develops and turns into a leadership candidate. Do you feel like those kinds of skills can be effectively taught online? And and if so, why do you think that? Well, I do. And I think that because online education offers you the opportunity to do more than just have somebody read something online, right? So there's chances for dialogue. There's Zoom meetings like we're having now that they're doing at a lot of the schools. But there's also, you can include, you can embed discussion activities that people can respond to and you have a facilitator respond back. And so you can take the concepts that are essential to the course. And everybody knows not all concepts are essential to the course, right? But you pull out those essential concepts and you really focus on those and you build discussion activities around them. Maybe you include an assignment about that or have that in the test or the assessment at the end. And so I think that the essential concepts you can really intertwine throughout online education. I think where the difficulty comes in is if you think about undergraduate education and those clinical experiences, those hands-on experiences, those are more difficult to incorporate in an online environment. I'm curious if you could look into your crystal ball a little bit five years down the road. What do you imagine uh, would be the, the things that you know SEI and Capella are working on then that, that at the moment aren't happening because we just haven't gotten there yet. Boy, if I had a crystal ball, I'd love to know that because I'd buy stock in that and I'd be a millionaire. Um, you know, things that are going to continue, I think, to evolve and, and um, develop around population health. So looking at how do we keep populations healthy? How do we impact those things that matter? Um, you know, opportunity for education, opportunity to exercise, safe environments, opportunities for food. So when we start to look at that, we think about how can we educate our students so that they understand how to have an impact in areas that continue to evolve over time in our communities. One thing I've always been very fascinated by is is that healthcare as an industry is a growing market for employment, whereas many other industries are shrinking markets for employment. And and I'm just curious to get your thoughts on why you think that healthcare as a whole is looking for more and more uh, human beings to fill these roles. Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. One is we do have an aging population, right? And so as people get older, they are requiring more care. And because we have such a big baby boomer population, there are a lot more people requiring care. The other piece is people are living longer because we have good care. So while they may be acquiring chronic illnesses, for instance, hypertension or high cholesterol, we're treating that now. And so people are living longer. So you have older people needing more care, but living longer. In addition to that, we have a lot more technology. So even younger people who have perhaps a heart condition or you know, some kind of condition that, that is very chronic throughout their life, they have opportunities now to live longer than they never had before. And then we just have more people. And so the projection is we're going to be millions of nurses short over time and not just nurses, but you think about the trickle down from that. So as 
hospital environments start to change and more care is happening outside the home, physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists, you know, home health care. And so it's really just a huge market and a huge increase over time of the people we're going to need to meet the needs of our population. Yeah, you know, I think that trend is a fascinating one and probably has been underappreciated is the movement of healthcare outside of the walls of the traditional hospital or clinic. So I, I think that'll be an interesting one to track. A lot of our listeners are health students uh, in various fields and may not even know all of the different uh, jobs that are out there that they may be suitable for. How would you recommend they go about exploring these different opportunities for themselves as they try to choose a path that's a good fit? Well, I think a couple of things that you have to think about is, is number one, what's your passion? You know, what do you really want to do? And so if your passion is caring for people, all right, and so that usually leads you into health care, then what about that passion do you like the most? Do you like hands-on care? You know, do you like working with people who are chronically ill? Do you like working in areas that are traumatic? And so really thinking about what is it that you want? Because if you go into an area that's not your passion, you're not going to stay because it's not what you want. So once you define that, start to think about what opportunities there are. And of course, there's always career counselors and there's community colleges, you know, places you can start to get ideas. But I think the most important thing, and this is what I tell people that ask me, is that just because you start something, if you don't like it, you know, look around, there's so much opportunity. Well, it seems like you've lived that example of, of kind of following your own passion. I'm curious, you know, do you feel like at each step of the way you're passionate about what you're doing and, and, and did that change and evolve over time for you? Well, I think my passion has changed over time. You know, I went into nursing young and I wanted to work with kids and that was my passion. I had the opportunity to do that, but as things evolved, so when HIV came out and I saw nurses who didn't want to provide care for these patients. My passion changed to not just protecting the rights of the patient, but educating the nurse about responsibility and, and about safety. And, you know, as that changed and I moved into a global environment, it was more like, okay, you know, this is way beyond where I live. And so my passion changed to well, let's change the world. And, you know, I, I just think everybody if you follow your passion, you're going to see it develop and evolve over time. And I don't think anybody's passion ever stays the same. I think we always, as humans, want to do more, want to do better. And as long as we give ourselves the opportunity to follow that, you know, I think we can have rewarding careers no matter what we choose. I think that's a great message and, and one to end on. So thank you so much, Adele, for joining us today. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Take care. I'm Risha Desai. Thanks for checking out today's show. Remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. Be well. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.